0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Twin Oaks Christian Church. This podcast is for the Twin Oaks community and beyond. What you'll find here is an honest exploration of the Bible that takes seriously the world around us while being informed by 2,000 years of the Christian tradition. This approach allows us to seek wisdom from the past as we face the future together as disciples of Jesus. Such a thought roots us in a living and diverse tradition, allowing us to explore critically the mystery of our faith. I'm happy you're joining us today, and I hope you're edified by what you hear. Any Foo Fighter questions I'm going to get, but I but it's still true. Yes. Uh, well, good morning, everybody. It's um it's nice to be with you, and uh, I'm thankful. I got a text, uh, you know, from Aaron last night, and the opening line was, "I heard you got a sermon about pickles. I'm in a pickle." So credit Aaron for the for the you know dad joke in the in the text message. You know that there's something special about a pun and you know um, reality. So yeah, the so spoiler alert: we are going to talk about pickles, but it's not exactly a sermon about pickles. You are the pickle; it's a metaphor. So the spoiler that's that's the that's the head process. So um, so this will be a focal point. Um, I am a tactile and experiential learner, and so I brought a pickling cucumber as a demonstration. But before we get to pickles, um, I have a a question, um, there are a few things that I obsess over and pay a lot of attention to, um, but there's also, I have a certain immense of, uh, a little bit of a lot of things, it's kind of, I kind of, the, I'm the fact guy, the random facts about things, and so the, the question I have for you today as we start is, does anybody know what the most read book of the 20th century was? You're in church, so it's the thing you're thinking. The Bible, yeah. So that's when, it, when, in, when at church or Sunday school, it's, it's Jesus or the Bible. So I'll start there and then, you know. Um, the, anybody know what the second most read book was? It's the Lord of the Rings. Yes, exactly. So, so, to start, um, so to start, I wanted to give an example of Lord of the Rings. And so I really appreciate it. In the prayer today, um, as we read the Lord's Prayer and the Fruit of the Spirit to be evident in our lives, that is, that's what we're talking about. That's, that's the whole um, point of our time together is, is what the kingdom of God looks like in our lives and how, um, what cultivating the fruit of the spirit in our lives looks like. And um, one of the things I'm most grateful about, about the Imago Dei in us is how art can teach us and reflect um, truth in, a, in an interesting way. And sometimes it's hard to find um, analogies. We think of a lot of different things about what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus said a lot of different analogies of so mustard seed, which that correlates to our pickle making, a lot of different things like that. Um, but there's the point in uh, book one of The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, where the hobbits have, a, have um, le- left the shire and found themselves quickly pursued by the ring race, the black riders, and they, their lives are in great peril from jump as soon as they, as soon as they begin their journey. And um, they have just made it to the last homely house, to Elrond's home. Elrond, the, the elf lord, who, um, whose home is called Rivendell. And so, um, I wanted to, this is just a little paragraph after the hobbits are in Rivendell. And they've, they've experienced great peril in their past. And they know that great, even greater peril beyond all they can imagine is coming forward. They're about to go to the middle of the last place anyone on earth wants to be to Mount Doom in the middle of Mordor, which is, you don't want to go there. And that's where they're trying to get to. And so this is, this is a little um, spot of, of what I think being a resident of the kingdom of heaven is like for a while. The Hobbits continued to talk and think of the past journey and of the perils that lay ahead, but such was the virtue of the land of Rivendell that soon all fear and anxiety was lifted from their minds. The future, good or ill, was not forgotten, but ceased to have any power over the present. Health and hope grew strong in them, and they were content with each day as it came, taking pleasure in every meal, in every word and song. the future, good or ill, was not forgotten, but ceased to have any power over the present. Does anybody feel anxious lately? Yeah, it, our days can push us toward anxiety, whether it's the ability to breathe freely outdoors, or indoors in our mass, or the ease of the hope of maybe things are better COVID-related, and then not, and maybe now, Like, right, there's, there's a lot that pushes us towards fear and anxiety. And I think that Jesus shows us that life in the kingdom doesn't have to be kingdom-filled. It's not a denial of the things that are out there in the world or, or, or pretending they're not there, but rather as a resident of the kingdom of Christ, we can enjoy the present regardless of what the future may bring. And so I I love that analogy of, it's a perilous journey, um, but we're under the care of the great king, and so that brings peace in our hearts, regardless of the circumstances that we're in. So today, I want to start by reading Psalm 1 together, and we'll reference it throughout our time together. So if you have your Bible with you and want to read along with me, we're going to read from Psalm 1. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners treat, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in season, and their leaves do not wither, In all they do they prosper. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So as we talk today about spiritual disciplines or soul training, these are are ways of talking about spiritual formation, the the spirit-driven process of forming our hearts to be like Christ. Um, Some things, uh, often we think of this soul training or spiritual disciplines as Lofty and high and holy things that are this upper echelon that we do in this sanctuary and only in the most quiet and, and specific moments of our lives. But really, I think that our soul training, our transformation process, is with us 24-7, like, like brine, like a cucumber in brine, as it were. So some things that I think are part of our soul training that we don't give credit for is sleep, It's really hard to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, to have joy and peace when you're exhausted. Amen? (laughs) When we're exhausted, the last thing we have is patience. Um, John Ortberg said, sometimes the most spiritual thing you could do is take a nap. And I'm just here to tell you that is my truth. (laughs) I am a a napper and fervent and uh, I wish my life had more of it. Um, Other things, silence and and awareness of creation. If you need any recommendations of where to go or what is easy to ask us around here, Joshua's got you covered. Um, Counting our blessings. I think this is especially true in times of anxiety, of things where we feel like we're losing things or losing opportunities. Um, A friend of mine is seeing hugging her mother for the first time in two years. You know, grandparents not seeing grandchildren, the distance that's gone on, things like that. That, that is hard and that is stressful. And just the basic of like, nothing is going exactly how we want it to, to for very long, for a long time. And the thought that that still may be true for who knows how much longer, that wears us down. And so having... A place, so counting our blessings just as you're going throughout your day, just making, have a little notepad, just writing things down. I'm thankful for that bird I saw. I'm thankful that our church has windows to look outside and see the beautiful sky, right? You know, those little things that we take for granted can really help us to change our perspective. Praying Psalm 23, making sure we keep margin in our life. Obviously, reading scripture, prayer, solitude. These are all pieces of the overall puzzle, but I bring up some of those other things because I think it's not, it's its closer than we think of, of drawing our hearts to Christ can be, um, it's more accessible than sometimes I think we give it credit for. So change is subtle. Um, the the cucumber, outside of uh, <laughs> Mr. Visher making the cucumber my friend, I've never had much affection for, Vegetails joke, um, I've never had much affection for cucumbers in and of themselves. However, you put this little guy into a jar with some salt and vinegar and water and some seasonings, and it transforms into something crisp, refreshing, and spectacular, a pickle. It's okay if you don't agree. But the transformation process of a pickle is, um, is very interesting It takes six weeks to make a proper pickle. Now, obviously, there's shortcuts and quick pickles and all kinds of... The pickle gets labeled on things that aren't pickles all the time. But for for our context, we're going true old-fashioned transformation pickle, six weeks. And you are more complex than a cucumber. And so sometimes we feel discouraged because our lives don't feel as transformed as a Christian as we feel like they should be. It, it takes a long time, and it's very slow. And you can't always look back to yesterday and feel like I am more Christ-like than I was the day before. But when you take a cucumber and put it into the brine, it's not one day, it's not one week, it's not instantaneous, but slowly the brine transforms the very cellular structure and works its way down to the very middle of this cucumber, and it becomes something different. And it's, a, it's slow, and there's not, a, there's not a light that goes on. There's not a switch. There's not an automatic thing where you're like, and now it's a pickle, but it's slow. And if, if the cucumber had agency <laughs> and could tell us It's like the pot, it's like the frog in the pot of water, right? It's a slow process that slowly, you don't feel it as it's happening, but fundamentally it's something different than it was. And the same is true for us in our spiritual lives. The fact is that we are being shaped, we are being formed constantly by the things that are around us, by the information we take in, by the people around, and it isn't fast. Fast. Humans develop very slowly. How horrible would the world be if babies could walk as soon as they were born? (laughs) Right? That would be, like, human beings have such capacity. uh, Andy Crouch says, uh, authority that human beings have is the capacity for meaningful action. We are able and capable of doing so much, but we develop so slowly. A lot of animals walk instantaneously upon their birth. That's how they survive. They, they walk around, they eat the grass, they drink the milk, and, and, that's, and they stay, keep up with their parents because they don't carry them. You know, that's, that's an instantaneous thing. But humans are very, very slow. You know, our, the human brain doesn't stop developing until around mid-20s, right? Like, as someone who has worked with college students for a long time, I say amen to that. I have plenty of evidence to the same, Right? And our spiritual formulation also is not fast. And so th- take that as an encouragement. On this slide here, there's a picture of a book that I found that um, is very much one of the most American capitalistic things I've seen. In a hurry to be holy, short devotions for busy people, <laughs> I'm here to tell you this will not work. <laughs> this will get a checkbox that hurry and holiness are words that do not go together. That is a, that is a, a literal dichotomy and are completely incongruent. That is not a thing that can be true. I don't know how many, how many copies of this book were sold, but I am sure that it won't actually help change your life. You can check a box that you said you had your devotions for the day, but it actually isn't something that's formative for you. Um, it's the McDonald's of, spirit. there is no McDonald's of spiritual formation. I'm sorry to tell you. This is a thing that, this, we are like the cucumber. We need to be embraced and surrounded by brine and good things to become who Christ-like. It's not, it's not something that's automatic. So sanctification, the process of becoming Christ-like, is the pickling in our lives. Um, so after salvation, becoming a kingdom citizen. And part of our frustration is that we often measure the wrong things. Right? This is what the Pharisees did, and a hindrance to our Christ-likeness is the false narratives that we believe, that God doesn't love us, or I have to be good enough to be able to go to God. I've got to make sure that I've checked all the right boxes or, or done all the right things for God to be happy with me, and often we measure the wrong things. A dominant narrative in Christian circles and a terrible sign of legalism is that if you're really holy, God will bless you. You've, that's an idea I'm sure that you've heard and, and come across before. Um, however, what we mean by blessing is part of the issue. I don't, that's not untrue. I think God will also bless you if you're not holy. It's, it's not something that we earned. It's by grace, right? Um, but the be like this, don't be like that. The gospel of sin management is part of the issue. And so we have a broken view of blessing. It can be er- interpreted by the size of our house, um, the attractiveness of our spouse. <laughs> if your mouse... If there's mouse in your house. Sorry, it was, there was a rhyme there. I had to find the next thing. I don't know what it is. But, you know, right? You, we, we've seen this before. Oh, God has blessed them. Look at, look at how wonderful is fam- if your kid If the kids are put together on Sunday morning, shirt, tucked in, comb hair, oh, God has blessed you. But if you show up with your head, you know, kid with hair sticking up and, you know, they didn't brush their teeth, like, pfft, I don't know. Are they really doing, right? Like this, we have felt this before. We, we've known what that's like. And so, you know, the fact is, is our kids' behavior is not indicative in and of itself of whether God has blessed us or not. In fact, in a lot of ways, you know, Christ, I think that Jesus was serious about that it's hard to be Christ-like if you're really, really, really rich. So in some ways, the size of our house can be an inverse correlation to our capacity to experience the blessings of God. I'm not saying you have to go sell your house. I'm just saying that's the wrong measure of whether... um, it's, there's no checking boxes or voting for the right person that makes us more or less holy. Holiness, defined by Dallas Willard, is simply a life that works well. That sounds I, I know that's a really simple definition, but simply a life that works well. It's not being holier than now. It's not religious perfectionism. It's a life that works well because we're rooted in another world, the kingdom of God. And the fact is, we're so used to life not working That a life that works well is abnormal. And so I think that the the life in the kingdom of Christ, of life working well, is having the appropriate power and the strength to do what we ought to do when we ought to do it. So the the goal of the Christian life is simply not to do the wrong things. And the focus on just not doing the wrong things is the gospel of sin management, but rather to become the type of person who naturally wants to do the right thing in the right time. So even if you don't kill your neighbor, but you wish them dead is still missing the mark, right? It's wishing blessing and 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 life upon your neighbor. That is that is the kingdom living. The power to act as we ought. And again, Psalm one one, how happy is the one whose life is rooted in the kingdom. It's a life that works. Psalm one three, like trees planted, yielding fruit that's a so such an interesting thing about fruit and planting when you when you plant a seed you plant a seed to grow cucumbers you know it takes all summer to grow and it takes over and you've got vines and whatever but the the yield the fruit is plentiful i guarantee you if you have a friend that grows cucumbers when harvest time comes they'll try to give you cucumbers because there's so many right that's why we pickle them because they're so abundant when they happen but it, you can't force fruit to grow to my to- I don't know about, about y'all, but my tomatoes have been very low yield so far this year. We've gotten a few, but they're just slower. And there's, not, there's, there's things you can do to help it out, but I don't produce the fruit. I planted the right number of tomatoes. I watered them. But there's something about, I don't the weather this summer. Or something. We're just getting less than we did last year normally. Normally, we've, we're a few batches of so- fresh salsa in, and we've yet to make any. We're just kind of doing them one at a time. And that's the interesting thing about fruit. It's not something within our direct control but what we can control is, is cultivating our own soil of our hearts so that the fruit can be plentiful and it will appear when the time comes. So I want, to, I want to talk a little bit about hurry, like our devotional, in a hurry to be holy. Hurry and striving cause arrested development in our kingdom citizenship. James Bryan Smith uh, says that hurry is an inner condition that is fear based. Now you may be thinking, well, if my, if my connecting flight in the airport arrives late, I have to hurry to get across the terminal. Yes, hurry is not necessarily walking fast or running to the next gate to catch your flight. But hurry is the fear-based condition that says, if I don't make this flight, people will be mad at me or I won't be good enough or I'm not responsible. It's, it's the condition of fear that what ifs, what does this mean about me if I'm not on this plane? What is it, you know? so on and so forth. Those, those type of things. The striving of being overcommitted, looking busy. And that fear-basedness is rooted in pride because it's about how I appear to other people or the impression I want to make upon them. So the two greatest enemies of holiness, as described by Dallas Willard, are perfectionism and legalism. These were the two things that the Pharisees did really well. You can't out Perfectionized the, the Pharisees, right? Like, they, they had it locked in, they had it together. It was very organized, there was a checkbox, it was all the right things in all the right ways at all the right times. And they were very judgy of everyone else who didn't do it likewise. Um, so in Matthew 5.20, um, Jesus said, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Spoiler alert you're never going to see the righteousness of those of the Pharisees. So, we have to, so it's different. We're not trying to be like them. It's a different thing. That's the thing. Matthew eighteen three. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. John 3, three. And Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. If we're rooted in the kingdom of heaven and bear good fruit, we have to move beyond the established patterns and actions that guide human life those established patterns are the way of the scribes and Pharisees and and that and this way can't why can't that lead to kingdom living because the righteousness is located at only at the level of actions not the heart it's an attempt to keep control so if you're measuring righteousness in the sense of like the Pharisees words, you'll never out-pharisee the Pharisees right but it's why do we do that? Because it's easier. It's easier to have the checklist of if you have a nice car, you have a nice spouse, you have a nice house, and your kids look good, you must be blessed. You must be doing it right. Because it's easier that way. We default to legalism because it's easier. The, the gray, the intangibles, is much, much harder. Because if you control the output of personality and behavior, the gospel of sin management... You feel like you have more control in your life. That's why we default to it. But it doesn't touch the source of our motivations, our heart, the insides of person, of who we really are, in contrast to what we do. So that's why when we talk about spiritual formation, that's why the, the pickle is such a good example, because we have to immerse ourselves in kingdom living, immerse ourselves in, in the brine of the Holy Spirit to make our hearts fr- open. Just a quick word about fruit. There's um, there's a tendency for us to believe that results equal fruit. So you hear, hear me out on this. Um, I've known Aaron and Bethany for a long time, and I think they're wonderful. I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna use Aaron as an example. If over the next two months, the size of this church Tripled, and every seat was filled, and there was extra. We had to put a monitor into the lobby and had to have two services. It would be easy to say, God has blessed us. Look at the results. Look at all these people. That would be an easy thing to say. However, if Aaron, in the process of doing that, Aaron became arrogant and a jerk and stopped talking to you all, The results don't equal fruit. That, does, do you hear what I'm saying there? Like, the list of Christian leaders who have bad fruit but good results is very long. And so I think that is a good example of how we measure the wrong things of blessing. Look at the blessing of our church. Our, our budget, our building, and the butts and the seats have grown clearly God has blessed us. And that can be true. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, necessarily. But I'm saying the more important thing is love, joy, peace, patience. That is from the Holy Spirit. A charismatic individual can wield great power over people, but that doesn't mean that it's from the Holy Spirit. So I think that's a good example. You see how tricky that is of the fruit? We have a tendency to measure the wrong things of what we count as blessed. Um, In today's world, in 2021, if Eugene Peterson were just starting out in ministry, I don't believe we would ever hear of him. We would never have the message. We would never have the beauty of his poetry, of his writing, and his push toward spiritual formation. He wouldn't get a platform because he's not great on Twitter. He's not a trendy dresser, and he's not a dynamic speaker, but he is a poet. In my life, and the faith of many countless others, is better because of his faithfulness he never had a big church. He never had a large platform. And if it weren't for that publisher 50 years ago that, that gave him his first book deal, we never hear him. And today, because of the way the industry and business works, we would never hear of him. So that's, that's the cautionary tale I have about results don't necessarily equal good fruit. Um, and that's why relationships matter so much, because that charismatic leader, the, the more touch and accountability that gets lost in the process, the more it can go to his... His or her head, and it's all about the individual and not the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit going on. Because so many start with good intentions and then end up in bad places. And I'm sure you're thinking of someone in your in your mind that that that's happened to. Um, is I think it's because we we ch- the brine got changed from what pushes us towards kingdom living to measuring the wrong thing. Sorry, that was a little that was off topic, but it was it was on topic, but it wasn't in the notes. So I but I I, I, ho- I hope you're checking what I mean by that. Jesus lived that light out in the open. And so hypocrisy comes when we run from cover, right? When we detach from relationships. It is easier to do things by yourself. It's harder to have a group of people to come together and do it together and to work. Collaboration in leadership is harder than authoritarianism. It's just true. Hypocrisy comes when we live our lives hidden from each other, when we flee from vulnerability, and our relationships flatten and we lose death. And that's when abuse happens and exploitation. So I heard this quote a while back, and I don't remember who it's from, so I'm sorry I can't cite it directly, but the best indirect proof of Jesus' divinity was that he went on a camping trip for two and a half years with a bunch of men who still believed that he was the Messiah afterwards. (laughs) Right? Like... That, that is not a flattened relationship. That is a very engaged and very um, ongoing thing. The life in the kingdom of Christ breeds authenticity. And so the rootedness in the kingdom, Psalm 1, happy is the one, blessed is the one whose life is in the kingdom, It transforms the inner self, allowing us to become like Christ. One could say we are pickled. The actions focused living is only a gospel of sin management. So if we're only focused on what our exterior results look like, that's the wrong thing. But in the kingdom, when we're wrong about something, we don't have to hide. We know where help is, and we know where to get help, and we don't, and we are willing to ask for it when it's there. We don't have to cover it up from ourselves or from God. The path forward is not through hypocrisy. I think that's one of the most interesting things about sin is that God, who we all will say is omniscient and knows everything, there's nothing we can hide from God. Yet, still after sin, we think that we have to keep it a, a secret from God. But yet one of the best things to do is to say, God, yeah, that's, I just did that. And to be honest, and I'm not sure I'm mad about it either. I kinda liked it. You know, like honesty is a good starting point with God. God can handle it, whatever that thing is. The same as if, if the th- hard things theologically that we struggle with, like, God, I don't understand this. It seems like this is what the Bible says. I, I don't like it, that's okay. And that's why I look back on Eugene Peterson. It's one of the things he talked about in um, A Long Obed- his book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction, is that life is too short to make sense of, of the God of the universe and the cosmos. One lifetime is not enough to make sense of the world or, or our relationship to God. And we, ha- we have to rely on those who have gone before us and those around us to help make sense of the world. So don't be resigned to stay where we are right now. Change is gradual. We plan and act in in order to cooperate with the grace of God. In the areas in which we fail, we learn to do do things which make a difference. Take actions. Practice soul training exercises. Not every single thing works for everybody. I find for myself that I pick a thing and I focus on it for a while, and then after a month or two, I have to focus on a different thing. So I'm going to focus on, you know, reading through the book of John this week, this month and and spend a lot of time and in, in understand Jesus's words. And then in the next month, I make, make a focus of something that's hard for me to do is time and solitude. Now, I may focus that on for a month, that's never gonna be a primary driver of all that I do all the time. I'm too I'm too uh, relational and like to be with other people too much. That is a very, very, I have to be intentional about that and it's a very difficult thing. But um, practice things and if it doesn't stick for you, move on, it's okay. We, but we can change. We can step into grace. Your life is like a tree. It, it dig down roots, the mustard seed of faith. Trees work by digging their roots in the soil and reach the far nutrients. In that similar way, the brine that's around us. And So my encouragement to you this week is, is to dig deep and to brine well. And to try to figure out what brine is influencing you. What, what is shaping you right now? What, what, is, what are the things that are transforming you day to day? Um, we often end up in habits and patterns of reading and watching and listening because it's what we've done. And slowly over time, those things affect us. And so I would encourage you this week, it, as part of a soul training exercise, is to not call anybody names. That can be—you're like, I don't call people names— um, my pastor a few years ago challenged me on this right during the election season. So that was that was a tricky one, <laughs> right? Anybody, yeah? Um, is to not call people names. And then he, he took it a step farther and said, or listen to people who do. I was like, well, that's not very fun because it can be entertaining to watch someone tear someone down. That's true. It can be fun. And so, it caused, so that, that's something I would encourage you this week, just, it's a little bit random, and I'm picking something a little bit, like, out of the ordinary, is as you think about what your brine is, is to try to see, like, oh, am I participating in things that are calling other people names, or putting other people down, because that's not from Jesus, no matter what, if it's, if it's making fun of, or exploiting someone else for some other purpose, whether they're right or wrong, Putting labels and calling people's names is not something that is a, that's not love. It doesn't breed joy or peace or patience in your life. So um, how we talk of people, talk about people or hear others talk about people flavors our brine. So what, what are the things that are in the brine that are shaping you? That's, that's our challenge, I think, for, for today. The more we dig, the more we train together, the more ho- the Holy Spirit's fruit will be evident in our lives. Join me in prayer. Father, we are grateful for your work of the Holy Spirit, for your partnership and through the sacrifice of Jesus that the Holy Spirit can be in our lives and can shape us and and can bring fruit about. God, it's something that's a little impossible to understand. But Father, we are grateful and um, we just want to open our hearts to be open to your leading. So, Father, we just pray that you would make it so. Let us be good soil so you can produce good fruit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Twin Oaks Christian Church. For more information about Twin Oaks, please visit our website at TwinOaksEugene.com.